Thank you, Justin. Thank you, worship team. And thank you for joining us in lifting up a wonderful sound of praise and worship. Uh, this is the time when we get to dismiss the kids. So kids, uh, we've got a service designed just for you. If you'd like to head on to that, you can head over to that back corner over there, meet your teachers. And again, parents, if you've just come, make sure your kids are signed in. Uh, they should have a label or a name tag printed out. You should have a little security slip, like a coat check. But uh, if you need help with that, just find someone in the lobby wearing a lanyard. We'd love to help you out with that. And while that's going on, I want to start off with a fun little story I've got. And it, has, it incorporates a little bit of show and tell. I'm excited to bring some show and tell to church. Uh, but so here's a story I've got. Okay? Uh, a few years ago, I was working on a bit of a garden project. And I was making a garden box. And I kind of wanted to make this sort of like feature piece and have a bit of an antique rustic look. I want it to kind of almost be functional too though, this like kind of garden cart thing with a flower planter on it. And so I was welding up some metal and did the woodwork and everything. And one of the things I needed was these antique rustic style like cast iron wheels. And I was searching high and low for something like this. And you know, I was also trying to be pretty frugal and uh, something as affordable and cheap. I went everywhere from Princess Auto all the way to the old barn out back of my friend's house, couldn't find anything. So I hit up uh, Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, and then I finally found something. It wasn't quite what I was looking for, but something came across up. I found this like antique bicycle kind of thing, and I've never seen anything quite like it. Have you ever seen anything like this? Weird, right? And I was like, but it's got four wheels, and you know, and it was like 50 bucks, but then I was like, I can't just disassemble this classic antique to make this garden cart. I can't just whatever, right? So I left it alone, and then like weeks went by, and the ad was still there, and the price was dropping, and I was 20 bucks, and I was like, I'll give it a bit more time. And after like a month, if no one else wants this thing, okay, I'm going to rip it apart. So I messaged the seller, and it turns out to be it's a sweet little old lady. She's like, I don't like Facebook. Can you give me a call? So I gave her a call. And she says, okay, well, so I've had a lot of people have come by to look at this. You're sure you want it? Like, you know what it is, right? And I said, yeah, I've seen the picture. It looks great. It's exactly what I want. It's what I'm looking for. Okay, as long as you're sure. And, uh, and she's, you know, people have come, and then they just change their mind. And so, so I went over, and I cleared out the back of the Jeep. I was like, I hope this thing's not too heavy, right? I, apparently, it's functioning, too, is how the ad said, so it works. And uh, so I go to pick it up, and I, I knock on the door, and... Uh, the seller, this, this lady comes out, and, and uh, that's right, the show and tell part. And she hands me this. <laughs> she says, this is what you wanted, right? And I'm a man of my words. So I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so many people changed their mind when they saw it, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, there maybe some scale in the picture could have helped a bit. So now this sits on our uh, right by our fireplace. It's a great little centerpiece. Uh, it does function like the pedals turn and uh, the wheel steers, and it's neat. And my daughter loves it too. She, it's a little push cart thing for her. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it was designed for her. <laughs> The point of that story, not that I just got a cool little trinket for 20 bucks, I didn't know bicycles ever looked like that too at one point, but sometimes even when we do our due diligence and we do our research and we try to figure out and we think we know what's going on, uh, we think we know what to expect, sometimes 
you know, things go awry and we don't get what we expect and life kind of throws a curveball at us. And, and uh, what do we now do with that new reality? And make a little children's toy out of it. But over the next three weeks, what we're going to be doing is a character study uh, from, in the Bible, from the Old Testament, someone who, in way bigger ways than just getting a surprise little $20 trinket, he, he experienced uh, a complete change in his life, things that he thought would happen to him. Uh, through, so he, he essentially wrestles with life. So in the book of Genesis, Old Testament book of Genesis, around chapters 25 to 33, we're introduced to a man named Jacob. And just some context, so Genesis is the first book in the Bible, easiest one to find, uh, first one on the app if you're opening that up to, and it's in the Old Testament. What it is is a historical narrative of God creating everything, but specifically of God creating and molding and shaping and guiding and calling a nation of Israel, a nation of people who God will use to be his representation on earth, to be his, essentially, his story for redemption all the way through over thousands of years to Jesus Christ. And Genesis is the start of all that. And so we're introduced to this narrative through characters. And we're first introduced to a man named Isaac. And he's actually the miracle child of a man named Abraham. And I'm just throwing out people to you, right? And you're like, okay, so we'll get there. But Abraham was the first man that God made a promise to that he was going to use and establish and create a nation through. And in his old age, uh, Abraham's like, okay, but I'm still childless. God blesses him with a miracle child. That's Isaac. And now we're going to jump in. So that's the context. Now we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 25, around verse 21. So Genesis 25, verse 21 Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled with each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire with the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger." When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which Esau is a name, just means hairy. And now in English, we just call them hairy. They're hairy, I guess. After that, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, a.k.a. heel grabber, which is a bit of an idiom for literally deceiver. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to him. The boys grew up. Esau, be- Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, and while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Isaac, the father who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah, his mother, loved Jacob. Okay, so this is the prequel to Jacob. This is the start of the story. It's like the Star Wars text scroll, right, going by... And we have several chapters coming along to describe Jacob's life. And it is an absolute mess. Keep in mind, this is the man who God decided would become a nation. It was going to be his people. This was a baby born with a promise upon him to be great and to receive land and wealth and resources and power and a blessing upon him. So we're not going to spend all the time reading through the next eight chapters of Jacob's life 
But I do have a bit of a synopsis just to catch us up to speed. We're going to do a bit of an overview look into what happened in Jacob's life, how he went through all of this life and wrestling. I do encourage you too, though, throughout the weeks and as we're doing this study, uh, to, to read it. So Genesis 25 to about 33, 34, and there's some gaps. But the first thing, so right away in the story, the first thing we're introduced to, so you have these two twin boys, right? Uh, brothers, the Esau technically born moments before, uh, technically the older brother. So in a primogenital culture, uh, the older brother receives the inheritance, receives the birthright. Uh, he, he's the man. He's the one who will carry on the bloodline and everything. And so in a moment of Esau being weak and hungry and starving, he was out hunting, probably got lost. He comes in and Jacob's at home just chilling, making some food. And Esau's like, please give me some food, I'm dying. And Jacob's like, because he thinks he's clever, he's a deceiver, literally his name. And he is a bit of a businessman at heart too. So he's like, okay, I see you have a need, right? Supply, demand. Give me your birthright. I'll give you some food. I'll give you some soup. Uh, kind of abuses that right away. So Jacob right away now kind of swindles his brother out of the birthright. Next thing that goes on is now he has his father who is getting older in age and he's kind of starting to lose his sight. And he, he wants to, before he's fully gone, he wants to bless his son. He wants to bless his oldest son. And uh, because we even see in the story there too, uh, dad loved Esau, mom loved uh, Jacob. Jacob's a bit of a mama's boy too, right? So uh, mom and Jacob work together to say like, I think we can get your father's blessing. We can sneak it away from Esau. So they work together and he kind of scammed his blind father out of his older brother's blessing. And this, you know, rightfully so, really bothered Esau. He was angry. He wanted to kill Jacob because everything he had, everything he was entitled to, and he's the man who's working hard, doing all these things, Jacob just kind of hustled it away from him. So now next thing, he, Jacob's on the run. He's taken off because his brother wants to kill him. And then he goes into uh, a new land where he's got some family living there. And uh, there's this man Laban. He goes to work for this man Laban. And now Jacob starts to receive a little bit of what being deceived is like. So Jacob falls in love with this, uh, this woman, Rachel, and he's like, I want to marry you so bad. Laban's daughter, so he's working for Laban, says, I'll work for you for seven years. Don't pay me, just let me marry your daughter, Rachel. I love her. And uh, the Bible's a little bit harsh. It says, Rachel was beautiful. Her sister Leah, not so much. It says, weak eyes, which is a polite way of saying, like, not a looker. Bible's kind of harsh sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, Jacob goes where he's like, okay, I'm going to work seven years. Seven years, right? Who's put that kind of effort in nowadays? Seven years. And, uh, and then it's like big wedding ceremony, everything going. He's excited, wants to marry the love of his life, uh, Rachel. And then uh, Laban swindles him a little bit. Now he's on the, Jacob's on the receiving end of that. And instead, he gets Leah. It's too bad. Doesn't get the one he loves. So he's like, hey, seven more years. So he works seven more years, finally gets Rachel, and now we enter into a bit of a season of family drama. Because see, here's the thing. He only loved Rachel, but he ends up spending this time trying to build a family, and he ends up having two wives, two servant maids, uh, four women, and there's a ton of family drama. These women literally start naming their children uh, in ways to spite each other. Like, he's got this life that could make most soap operas envious. And, and so that, that's the next thing going on. So now Jacob's key, like, I'm trying to build a family. I don't really have any resources or money or power to my name. So he makes an arrangement with uh, Laban and says, okay, uh, give me 
all of your like deformed and spotted and essentially all of your like messed up animals and crops, I'll take them. And through some clever breeding and uh, again, clever business tactics, he makes all of the animals a little bit messy and spotted and messed up. So slowly Jacob swindles uh, Laban, his boss and his uncle's entire, uh, his entire herds and all his resources away from him. So now he's made Laban angry at him too. So Jacob's on the run again. So he's living this life of just deceit and business practices of trying to just transactionally make everything happen his way, get everything he can. Uh, And so he's on the run again. He finds himself now on the run from Laban, terrified to go almost anywhere because his older brother Esau has all this area. So he divides his family in half. He's like, you know, I think everyone wants to kill us, but hopefully half of us survive. I don't know. We'll see what happens. And uh, he ends up being right in Esau's neighborhood. And so he finally gets this point where he's broken. And he's lost everything. He's like, I have nothing now. My brother's definitely going to kill me. I have nowhere else to go. I don't know what to do. I'm not really hearing from God anymore. And so he sends off his wives and his servants and those he loves. And again, kind of protects. He, he, puts, he puts the women he doesn't love up front, kind of in the line of fire a little bit. You know, not the most polite man. And then this moment comes right near the end where he's, again, scared of what's happened. Uh, he knows his brother's going to come. He's pretty sure he's going to die. So now we're in Genesis chapter 32. So we kind of just did a quick little overview. Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him overnight until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. So the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, but because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? And then he gave him the blessing. A few more verses go on, and you see in this moment, actually, that this man that Jacob wrestles with, it's kind of the story that comes out of nowhere, this man Jacob wrestled with is actually the manifestation of God. Uh, Theories of whether it was an angel or it was an early incarnation, uh, whatever it was, but Jacob was wrestling with God all throughout the night. And it's so fascinating, uh, I think, just the way that... God still chooses to work with Jacob. Now, okay, so maybe you're here or checking this out or anything, and maybe you've felt at some point in your life like you've got so much baggage that your past is just way too off, way too messed up. Maybe there's just too many things going on that you could never belong in the church, right? Or that you've got way too much stuff going on in your life that you could actually authentically pray or truly experience God. But look at the lives of the people who God works with. I don't know everyone's story here, but I don't think many of you have quite the same drama that Jacob have. I don't think you've quite turned every single person in your family away, but God's still like, that's fine. I can work with you. See, what's amazing is there's no amount of mess or chaos in your life that could surprise or turn God off of wanting to work in your life. Amen? Still with me, it's good. So here's some observations. We take a big overview look at the life of Jacob, right? Looks like a bit of a disaster. Why is God using this life, this man, this, these tactics to start his nation? 
And so some observations from a theologian, J.I. Packer, takes a look at Jacob's life in a bit of an overview study. And he says, remember, this is a baby who had a promise upon him to be blessed. And right from the get-go, Jacob was a clever, self-willed, self-dependent man. And he chose quickly to take the blessing promised to him from an all-powerful God and says, I can make that happen. And now we see an entire life going on of Jacob forcing his own destiny, trying to manifest his own destiny, make things happen and achieve all the stuff that he was promised from an all-powerful God. He says, I can make that happen too. And God lets it happen. And now Jacob starts to experience the results of his tactics, his deceit. He turns his family away and his friends away. He's got a dramatic family all around him and uh, women who don't love him, women who are squabbling all around him and uh, hate each other. Have you ever had a calling or a vision or an idea in your head or your mind, God's got you here on the planet to do this, and it's not quite happening, so you start to force it to happen, and you start to make the steps, and you go ahead and you start running into roadblocks and walls, and, and things aren't quite working out the way you expect them to work out? See, I think we, we often try to force, we're impatient by nature. We are impatient people. I am an extremely impatient person at times, and I want stuff to happen. If I know something can happen, and I get tired of waiting for it, and I start to force it to happen, and a lot of the times, we end up running into roadblocks and walls and issues where we think, I've done X, Y, Z, so this should happen, and it's not are because we're not patient and we're not actually waiting for God's guidance in our lives. And now what's interesting is the way God actually teaches us through our own tactics in life when we're just trying to go and make things happen. God, in his wisdom, weaves the lives together because he was only after Jacob found himself truly hating his previous ways of making things happen, his deceptions, his hustles, and he was completely humbled and he was completely broken, is when God fully steps in and blesses him. When he became completely dependent on God is when he was finally able to even receive the blessing of God. And it's so interesting that it ends with a wrestling match. It's so iconic, right? Because his whole life has been a wrestle, but then at this moment too where Jacob could have just given up, he doesn't give up. And the theologian J.I. Packer says, the nature of this prevailing match is almost as if to say, God throughout it, the man is saying, let me go, be done with me. I, I, you know, you, you're doing your own things in life, so let's just break ways. And Jacob says, no, I'm going to keep persevering. God, I want to receive your blessing. And so he sticks with it. It's a perpetual reminder that we need to be leaning on God. I missed the part where uh, God broke Jacob's hip and he'll forever walk with a limp and a staff because Jacob also needed that reminder that you need to lean on God. We need to be able to lean on God. So overall, Jacob was cursed with something we can all relate to. We like to manifest, manifest and manufacture our own destinies. What we try to make happen, what we expect to happen to us. We try to make happen what we believe we deserve, what we think we've earned. We try to demand, we use all the tools in our arsenal to make life happen the way we want life to happen. And I think there's three big areas in our lives that we do this specifically too. 
I think we, we try to do this. We try to take full control and manufacture our destinies in our relationships. I think we try to do this a lot in our finances with money. And I think we try to do this with faith, with God. We try to wrangle God and make God just be what we expect God to be. We're, only, we're not going to do all three today. That's what these three weeks are going to be about. We're going to take a specific look at a part of Jacob's story and apply it to these things. But this week coming up is Valentine's Day, right? So we've got to talk about the relationship stuff. Now, here's the thing. When I even thought about this, I was like, I can't use Jacob as an example for relationships. He was a mess. It, like, don't read Jacob's story and take relationship advice from Jacob. It doesn't work. Your spouse will not appreciate you finding other spouses, <laughs> bringing them into the mix. It doesn't work. But no, I'm not even talking about just romantic relationships, but relationships in general, family, friends, coworkers, people around us, just literally when two humans interact, spend time together, that kind of a connection. See, here's the thing. We try to create this transactional nature in relationships in our lives. And we try to make relationships just be a means to gain things that we want. And it's very subtle. See, the devil has this little lie that can sneak into your mind and into your life that we relate to each other transactionally. And let me explain this. Like, when, when we spend time, when we get together, if, again, if it's your spouse or if it's a family friend, somebody you're dating, if it's a coworker, that that time you spend together, those interactions you have, there should be a reason that would benefit both of you, right? To justify it. And even if it's not something that you would believe all the time, often when you start hitting the thick and things are a little bit more difficult, you start really weighing, like, well, what's actually giving me life? And when you spend that time, there should be, like, encouragement that comes back, right? Or you should get a reciprocal feeling. Maybe it's just some life advice. Or even if it's just literally a discount at the shop where they work, like, come on, let's make this benefit each other a bit. The devil loves this because even in the smallest way, when you start to think of other people in your life in an economical sense, it poisons our ability to actually love people fully and properly. Here's an example. Who's ever kept score in their relationship? Okay, I don't mean like literally with a chalkboard in the house. Maybe you do that, right? But who's done more chores this week, right? Who's given more back rubs lately, right? It's my turn. Come on. You know, who's gone to Starbucks more times this week, right? Let's balance it out. Who's kept score? This lie comes around and it festers. And especially, even if it's not just in a negative sense, but sometimes it's like, you know, I, I was trying to go through and find a specific quote, but you get like from The Simpsons, you get Homer who teaches his son, like, here's how, uh, here's how we have a good, healthy relationship, right? It's Mother's Day, I'm going to get your mother a box of chocolates, right? Because it's going to benefit me later on tonight, transactionally. It's kind of a little bit of the subtle, fun lie we have. It's Valentine's Day coming up, right? So get the chocolates, get the flowers, because you gotta. And it's good, it, you know, it'll be a benefit back and forth. That scorekeeping mindset creeps in, and it darkens us, though. Because when the devil gets a foothold in our marriage like that, we start to actually see what's scary about the scorekeeping thing is it only comes in when we actually think we're winning and we deserve more. All of this to say, I'm not trying to like be weighed down on relationships, and again, it's not even just marital relationships, but 
that kind of sense of forcing and making relationships work the way we expect and need them to work completely flies in the face of what Jesus actually models love to be for us. How, we should, how, how Jesus expresses, how God expresses love to us and how we need to be expressing it to each other, to our family, to our friends, to our spouse. So in John 15, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12 to 13, these are the words of Jesus. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Love, that thing that sits at the heart of relationships, of friendships, of everything, is sacrificial, not transactional. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the churches in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, he expands on this idea of sacrificial love with the classic love passage, right? Does anybody just have that rain off the top of their head as maybe part of the wedding vows? Love is patient. Love is... Oh, it's up there. Oh, I see. That's why. You're sure it's not like love is balanced? Love is fair? Right? That's not, the, that's not the one. Love is efficient and easy and measurable. No, he goes on, right? Like, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Key piece right here. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. See, in a bizarre way, Jacob finally started to get this at the very end. He started to pick up on that perseverance. He started to pick up on the record keeping that, that, that was not part of it. When I've had dialogues with friends and other young couples who are looking to get married, they're in love. They can tell me all about the things of how, why they love each other. And you know what the thing is? And it's beautiful things. They're such good things. It's always things of what their other, their partner does that blesses them, that benefits them, makes me feel so good, is such a good accompaniment to all the things I love doing, just is gorgeous. I like looking at her, right? Benefit kind of things. And here's the thing, not bad. Brag about your wife, brag about your husband. Those are good things, right? Like celebrate all those amazing things about them. But if that's it, see, I, I like to actually pull them aside and instead in an individual level, not do you guys benefit each other in an efficient way, but do you individually, both of you, have the capacity to understand love the way God has designed love? Because it's not always balanced. In fact, it's rarely a perfect 50-50 balance. That's like the peak time, right? In relationships, and again, friendships, family, you have these peak times where stuff is just great. You're just helping each other thrive. Everything's good. But then you have all these valleys, where one of you needs help. Or further on in age, when the mind starts to fail, the body starts to fail. It's no longer, it can't be a transactional thing. What's amazing, there's a story, there's a friend uh, we, we've got who, they were a young couple, they were engaged. And between that engagement time to marriage, there was a freak accident where uh, the man was paralyzed. And from this point on, forever on in this relationship, it can no longer ever be balanced, especially physically, right? Uh, the, like, she will never be able to receive fully back what she pours in. They still chose to, got, to get married because they understood sacrificial love. That's not transactional. What I find so beautiful, too, is the later on in life, when you have friends who are starting to 
age and go down with mental illness, physical illness. You'll never receive back what you pour into it, but that's not the calling. That's not the challenge, and that's not the design of love, is to just make it benefit you. But you take Jesus' model of love and pour it back in. These are all amazing ideas, but I also want to acknowledge that's hard. That's not easy. It takes effort. And Jesus sets the standard high. God sets the standard high. And, and honestly, we're not going to be able to achieve that at all times. But we aim for that. And I just want to leave you with a couple ways that can help us do that. The first one is, and we actually can learn this from Jacob's story, is the perseverance we see at the very end. The words from the man, from God, wrestling with Jacob. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. You have persevered. You have kept going on. You haven't thrown in the towel. You've kept going on. Perseverance is necessary to actually have effective relationships. We are in such a disposal culture that it's so justifiable to say, when it's not blessing you, throw it aside. You can't do that with people. You can't do that with each other. And it's okay if it sucks at times. The wrestling is okay. Jacob had an entire life of wrestling. God was teaching him through that. It's okay if it sucks because God may very well be and likely is teaching you and training you and equipping you for something even bigger in that. I know the times when I've experienced wrestling in my life, it's maybe a year later where I realize, wow, God prepared me for something that I had no idea was coming. So the wrestling is good. But the biggest key point here that I want to leave you with is just how, like Jacob, when he was finally broken, finally gave up his ways and methods of earning and controlling everything for his own gain, to force his own destiny, to manufacture his own will, he literally clings to God. That's the key for this morning. That's the key for relationships and anything. We have these relationships with each other to succeed, to thrive, to actually understand love. We need to cling on to God. We need to cling on to God because God models love in this way. God models love by pouring out and literally for no return, right? God is pouring out 110% and we're sometimes giving it back, Sunday morning for like an hour, hopefully a bit more than that. There's literally no balance that we can ever offer up to balance out and make the love and the relationship that God has with us transactional in nature, but he keeps going. And so God models this sacrificial love even when we're rebelling against him, when we consistently turn away from him. So in that, cling to God. Cling on to God who offers that kind of love because when you're close to him, when you have that relationship, you can start to feel it and pour it back out to each other. I know the most perseverant and loving people are the ones who are so close to God their whole time and the amazing ways they can impact their friends and their family and their loved ones when they're at their lowest. That's the testimony piece in our world. One of the pieces I've always said when I've done marriage is marriage is an amazing blessing we get to experience, but it's also a literal testimony on our planet to actually ex to show off what the loving relationship of God to us can be like. And it comes out more clear than ever, especially later on in life, right in the hospital bed, when there's just an incredible amount of love being poured out. That's testimony of God's love being poured out sacrificially. So do not let go of God. 
We're going to end the service just singing a song, a blessing all together. I want to invite the worship team up to this. I just want to pray and just kind of remind and equip us for the rest of this series going forward, taking a look at Jacob's life of wrestling and using that as a motivation to see what happens when we just keep forcing our way apart from God and instead choose to cling on to him. Honestly, having no idea what the outcome was, Jacob didn't stop fighting throughout the night. No idea who this man even was at the time, what was going to happen, but he's like, I sense something happening here. And whatever it was that spoke to Jacob to say that this man was worth clinging on to and getting a blessing from, take that same kind of motivation to long after clinging on to God. God, thank you so much for the way you teach us, God, the way you mold us and shape us in in the most bizarre ways in our life, God. Even when we turn away from you, we rebel against you. God, like Jacob's life, who was a man with a strong skill set to just earn his way through the world, God, you still work through us. God, thank you so much for your model of love, God, for your model of relationship, God, that you just pour out constantly onto us. God, just pray that you give us the energy, the strength to share and show even just a small piece of that love to those around us, God, in those relationships. God, for those of us who are married or dating or in uh, romantic relationships this week as we're celebrating Valentine's Day together, God, I just pray that we take a look where transactional thinking in our relationships might be taking place. Help us crush that. Help us drive the devil out of those relationships, God, so that we're pouring in purely for the sake of love, because that's what you've designed us to be able to do. God, I just pray that this truth works within us as we go from here in this place, God, that there's some transformation to be more like you, to receive more of your love, God, and to pour out more of your love. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.